Hi, I'm TJ. Hey, and I'm Joseph. And this is Hi-Fi. I feel like we should like high-five or something. Virtual high-five right after we say that. It seems like we should. Up top. <laughs> so, Welcome Joe, back to um, the show, TJ. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, I feel like we should have a previously on Hi-Fi, but, but, but we'll get to that in a moment because, first of all, we have to talk about Quibi shutting down, or at least I thought we would talk about it. Had you sure. heard of Quibi or had you been paying any attention to Quibi uh, before it shut down? I paid attention so far as the other podcasters in tech and media were talking about it because they thought that it would be something worthwhile, like Vine Who? and... Wait, 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 wait. Who are these unicorns that thought that it would be good? They thought it was interesting because it was media and it was social and 2020... But who? Mm. But who? The folks on Upgrade mentioned it a few times. I, yes, I remember they, 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 were... they always thought that it was going to be bad. They thought it would shut down. Mm-hmm. I was just, just listening to Upgrade again today about it. Right. Well, it, they brought it up, but I don't even really understand why they wanted to bring it up unless they they thought it's, it was interesting because of people backing it or the response that they saw from their friends. Because I, I didn't really understand why. I mean, there's other social media outlets that usually our tech friends and peers on podcasts don't talk about. So. Did you have a thought about as to why they would even bring it up? Why Quibi was more important to them? I don't know if Quibi was more important to them. Quibi was just uh, it's a, it's a te- it's a it's in the tech space, right? Because they they chose to target phones only with Quibi, and mm. so you you know they were choosing to target phones. The the, the interest, as I understand it, I never used the service, but as I understand it, content would reframe based on your device orientation. So if you're holding it in a portrait orientation, which is the way most of us use and hold our phones unless we're watching video, right? So if you'd hold it in a portrait orientation, the 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 content would reframe to keep the most important parts and fill up your entire phone. But if you turn it on sideways, and it would reframe and show a wider screen image. So that whole thing was just odd to me. And then it was this idea that, uh, again, I'm, I'm speaking to as far as I understand what Kobe was. Um, or I guess technically it hasn't shut down yet, but it is shutting down. So um, the idea was also that the content was produced specifically for you to watch on your phone and it would be short, you know, 10-minute type things. And yeah. I, guess, I guess the question – so first of all, of course – bad timing i suppose with the pandemic but because who's who's out and about and like i'm gonna take 10 minutes and watch this thing on my phone like no you're gonna you, you're in your house you're gonna sit down and watch something on your ipad which is what i do or yes. your tv which right. which like who's well, that's old school right and i use my ipad <laughs> um but but like the whole idea just never appealed to me i don't want 10 minute like blurbs when i sit down to watch something i want you know an hour tv show i want to get involved and engaged in a full storytelling experience so i never got quibi i didn't know who was wanting content produced specifically for portrait on their phones like i did just didn't get it you know and i think most people predicted that it was going to shut down and lo and behold uh, all that investor money. I don't know if they if they spent it all or not, but because um, they had a lot, I think because Jeffrey Katzenberg, this was kind of his brainchild, and I think people assumed mm-hmm. that he knew what he was doing because Katzenberg is a big titan in the industry. Yes, and to me, it was just never like I was never interested at all. Yeah, it feels like it didn't really belong because it's hard to market a thing when you know Jeff is an interesting guy, but the shows 
all combined, while they may have some interesting stars or show creators behind them, it has the same problem that Apple TV original content has, where it's siloed off in a place uh, separate from most of your other television watching, and then it's only available on some devices by limiting it to just smartphones. For example, the way that Apple's television shows up till maybe just recently was only available on a, you know just the Apple TV hardware devices. Now it's built into a lot more televisions so that they can get it on a lot more homes. But it has the same sort of problem. So I, I don't understand why anyone thought that this would explode and be an overnight success because of just limiting factors like that. It's, it's, well, right. Know. And it wasn't, it wasn't just that it was, see, this was more artificially limited, whereas Apple quickly expanded to be wherever they needed to be. Uh, the only place, as far as I know, that they're still not is Android. They seem to be everywhere else, you know, including the web. Quibi specifically was for smartphones. And they, so they were artificially limited that way. I just don't find like the honestly the only time I watch stuff on my phone is when I'm on a plane or traveling, you know, in the car or something. And even now, I would probably use my iPad cuz I haven't flown since I got my iPad. I would almost certainly use my iPad now that I'm flying. If if, or if let me rephrase that. I would almost certainly use my iPad if I were to fly or travel now and I have in the car when my wife has been driving for instance, use my iPad to watch stuff. I mm. don't want to consume stuff like that on my phone. My phone is fine for browsing twitter or facebook or messaging or stuff like that but when i'm sitting down and watching something i want as big a screen as possible for the space that's allowed and yeah i just and and again like i said this idea of the quick like short short stories like i'm just not that interested in that i don't know yeah i it it was neither here nor there uh, so so long quibi i guess i guess I, i guess the thing to say in 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 the end here is Quibi. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I noticed that their website is still up and it still says that you can sign up and get a 14-day free trial, but I think it's going to be shut down before right, well, your free trial is over. Well, the announcement is it'll sh- be shutting down in December. And they oh, have okay. they're not but it is weird that they're not saying that on the site. I guess maybe they're still trying to get people to pay money to bring money in to recoup their investment, <laughs> I would <Ouch>. guess. <laughs> I, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Ah. <sighs> All right, Joe, you want to tell us about your first impressions of the iPhone 12 Pro, which you now have in your wife's possession. Yeah, so have you seen any of the iPhone 12s in person? No. Are you remembering we're in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, I didn't know if maybe you put a face mask on and braved a T-Mobile store or something like that. No, I just haven't had time. I I, I would, um, but I'm I'm going to see an iPhone 12, not a 12 mm-hmm. Pro, obviously, but I will see an iPhone 12 when I order mine and my wife's. So no, I just haven't felt the need to. Okay. I, I feel very confident that we got the right one for my wife. She has uh, specific desires about the size of the phone, the color of the body of the phone. She really appreciates having the more modern camera. The ideas like having a better display were not... It, things that immediately uh, compelled her to upgrade. She had an iPhone XR. She was happy with its speed. She was happy with the screen quality. But when she got the iPhone 12, she got the one in green. And then what happened was she was immediately impressed with how it felt in the hand. She thought she may not even go with a case. Uh, it's a, you know, um, roughly... Joe, to be clear, to be clear, it's an iPhone 12, not a 12, or 12 Pro, not a Max correct i'll get to that in a little bit so she has the regular iphone 12 in green 
And uh, she liked how it was thinner, it was lighter, it, it feels better, it's more comfortable in the hand. She she didn't feel like the 90-degree angles around the sides were necessarily hard or so jagged that they were cutting into the hand like a few other people have said that they weren't a huge fan of with the 12 line. Because if you were using the 11 and you're still with the 11 or a previous generation, then maybe you prefer the rounded sides uh, and the way it feels in your hand because it's uh, the, the way it grips, it doesn't feel like it's cutting into your palm or into your knuckles. And uh, I, I, I think that's maybe overthinking it. Uh, and my wife didn't think that that was a big deal to her. She loved the color of, of the green. She realized that the screen looked better, but she didn't know why. It's OLED, and now it's it's a brighter display. It's greater. It's it's closer to the experience of the iPhone 11 Pro. Now she with the 10R being chunkier, but also heavier. She could tell that this was lighter, and that was another plus. So all around, it's been a huge win. I think she's going to be very happy with it. And I tried it out myself, uh, taking some pictures. Both she and I took some pictures in low light. And we were really impressed with the results. Like It's snappier. If you're trying to take those pictures in low light, it just works faster than it did with the iPhone 11, which I have. And her 10R. So obviously, the 10R is not going to be able to support the low light photography as well. And neither can the 11 as well as the 12 does, but it also just takes them faster. And it's also more forgiving. So we had a uh, television remote sitting on our coffee table in the dark and we took our phone up close to it and took a snapshot really quick to just see how it processed the picture in low light and actually, you know, turned it out really fast. But the other thing was, is that it was trying to do the trick where it had a longer expose time and uh, didn't get more light in before it stopped and gave us the final result. Well, she even didn't realize that that's what was happening. And she was moving the camera around about to like raise it back up to her, her face to look at the picture while the exposure was still taking place. And it pops up this like uh, crosshair in the middle of the camera viewfinder to indicate, oh, oh, don't move. You know, you're off center point now. And, and you can realign these two crosshairs to get it back to center on your viewfinder. And, and she didn't quite get it. And I honestly thought that the picture would turn out terribly because she was mo- she had moved a lot and then the picture was done with the exposure. But when it came out, it was actually just fine. So I think perhaps the the algorithms were thinking about, well, all of this part that was in motion, we can't use that portion for the exposure of the shot. So we will default to this like one millisecond where we still had it in focus and then make adjustments accordingly based off of this one small example of the photo. If that makes sense, does that make sense to you, TG? Not at all. Okay. Well then how would I explain this? (laughs) Well, let's just say the camera is really good. You can go on. (laughs) Well, I mean, everybody is saying that Uh, I'm trying to give personal example. Uh, well, we also ta- have taken some examples of the pictures in um, of like portrait shots, uh, forward facing. I also got some product shots of things that I wanted to sell, like her last phone, her 10R, and just the way that it handles the photography seemed to be better and easier to use. 
And um, using things like AirDrop now on a modern iMac, really user-friendly. So I had easily taken three dozen pictures. And then I went over to the iMac and I wanted to AirDrop them and expected it to struggle with the AirDrop like previous phones and computers have for me. But they just zipped over to the iMac uh, really effortlessly. I, I don't know if that has to do with better hardware resulting in a faster transfer, but I kind of think it may have something to do with it. And it definitely I don't know impressed about, me. I don't know about modern iPhones up to the 12. I can tell you that the radios, the various radios on my iPhone 6 feel a little weak. Uh, like I can go out on the ports where I have good strong Wi-Fi signal with my computer and my Wi-Fi indicator goes down to one bar on my iPhone 6S. So it could be that they've improved uh, the the reception of the antennas and things so that uh, AirDrop works much better because it's getting better signal, for instance. Yeah, it could be that. So all around, though, I, I really enjoy the 12. And uh, I, so, uh, TJ, uh, I, I think that it's... It, it doesn't go without saying that I'm tortured right now and I, I feel torn between all the different iPhone models. Joe, you're is very Apple torturing happily, you? Yes. Are, are, you're very happy with the idea of getting the mini still. I can't think of getting any other phone right now. Wow. See, I'm with you completely, except that I want the camera from the Pro or the Pro Max. <sighs> I definitely wouldn't go with the Max. <laughs> But no, I mean, I, if, look, if the mini wasn't available, I'd be very happy to get the regular iPhone. I wouldn't consider the pro because like I take lots of photos, but I'm not a professional photographer and it's already going to be such an upgrade from anything that I've had recently. It'll even be an upgrade from my OnePlus 7T, which, which was a fine camera, but it'll be a huge upgrade from the 6S I'm stuck on right now, which I don't, I don't even, I'm not even taking that many pictures right now because it just feels like such, I'm just slogging through mud with this camera, which is Mm. funny because I remember very specifically when I got the 6S that it was such an upgrade to the camera on the 5. S and and so <laughs> you know it's amazing how far we've come but this is you know just the 12 mini the, the 12 mini is going to be such an upgrade to, on cameras I I wouldn't consider a pro honestly but also like I think you're just more of a photographer than I am so I don't know you know and you're certainly yeah. like you're more into the design side and you want to get your shots just right and I'll have fun playing with the camera and I'll take plenty of pictures don't get me wrong but I am not like the part of my life where I mean I used to be as you know into digital video and I was more of an editor, but I, I also got behind the camera, but that part of my life is just behind me. I just don't do much with video these days. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I don't hold it against you. I, th- I think that the 12 and the 12 mini are fantastic devices. But my main interest in the pro version is that it gives me more flexibility for taking pictures and video footage with the children, because I do have a lot of events where you know, I take my son to baseball or my ch- both of my children are in a choir performance and I cannot sit close enough to get them in a good shot off of my phone. So then I think, well, do I need to bring a telephoto lens on a DSLR to my children's music performance so that I can shoot them? Or do I just well, accept the fact okay, that I'm limited all, to show... Don't, don't shoot your children, Joe. Don't shoot your children, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> but second of all, they make... There are uh, third-party companies that make adapters you can slip in your pocket that'll fit over the lens and give you telephoto capabilities. 
So that's an option yeah. for you to think about. So then you don't have yes. to fiddle with it. Because a DSLR is so – like I, I've had one. Uh, it's still sitting in the closet. It's it's an old model by now, I you know, and I, it was starting to have shutter problems, but where the shutter would just get stuck. <laughs> but while I had it, it was a fine camera, except that I never used it that much because it's such a huge thing to lug around. Like it's not like burdensome or anything as far as weight, but like just the mass, like it's just a huge camera that you have to remember to take and you got to find a place to put it and you got to set it down somewhere. It's terrible, to ha- you know, to take with you on vacation, walking around a theme park or something because you got to have it strapped around your neck or something. And the camera is just there in your pocket with the phone. And so, yeah. And, and I feel the same way. Like if I, if I were going to, if I felt like I needed a telephoto lens, I would certainly look at these adapter and, and, and I was getting the, you know, as I, as I am the, the 12 mini or the 12 and not the 12 pro, I would look at this adapter that I could also slip in my, slip in my pocket. Perhaps that would be a telephoto adapter. Mm. That, and that is very reasonable. I discussed some of these options with my wife today because she has a great Canon rebel camera with a telephoto lens, but we don't use it any other time during the year. And both of us think it's an inconvenience to take it over to the children's performances. And we don't necessarily want to use it for video, but we would use it for photography. And then I'm still trying to capture video of my children's baseball games and their music performance. So am I going to do that with, I don't know, a defi- I want to get a good frame on them. I want to be able to get a better shot rather than being from a great distance. And I know that the, the 4X cameras on the Pro Max and the Pro are not going to give me the best results yeah, for like the DSLRs would hands down. So uh, it, it almost feels like it's overkill. Here's the thing to consider too. The longer your lens, the harder it is to keep it steady. Um, and so sometimes you think, oh, I'll use this, you know, um, I'll use this super extra focal length, uh, this, uh, 2X adapter or whatever, or or the 2X zoom to get in there and get a better shot. But you find the shots awful because you, your hands, you think you're holding it steady, but the more, the longer the lens, the more uh, unsteady, like just a minor, you know, shake here is a huge one out at the focal point. Um, so that, that becomes an issue. Uh, so, so, so at some point it, it becomes a, it doesn't, it's not that big of a deal. Anyway, you have to have really steady hands. Um, that was one of the first things I learned when I was actually doing cinematography, of course, was, um, you know, if you're going to have a long lens and, you know, zoom in on something, you're going to need to be on a tripod and keep that thing real still. So mm. things to consider. Yep. Well, my first impressions that the iPhone 12 and the 12 pro are really great devices. I went over to the T-Mobile store. I also saw the blue in person of the regular 12 and the 12 pro in gold and both are just fantastic i'm not one that would be interested in the gold and i don't know anyone who is but i know that i have heard of people that were attracted to this one and i gotta say Curly, this is the first time that i've been impressed with the result of the gold the the material the way it looks in lighting it is actually really impressive and then besides the gold, the regular blue for the regular 12, it's actually really nice. I, I caught myself audibly saying, wow, and I, that just slipped out of my mouth. It, it's a very striking blue. It's on the darker side of medium dark blue. But this is it's the 12 very, Pro's blue? Mm-hmm. But it's okay. very saturated. So it pops no matter how dark it comes off because it's very saturated. I like it very much. 
Um, I, I think I would still get the black if I was getting the 12 or the 12 mini because I've, I haven't had a black phone in a while and I've had a striking product red phone now for a good year. So I'm eager to get back to black. Yeah, I'm looking at the, and this is, I felt this way about the pros when I first looked at them. I'm looking at the colors now. I don't like the colors of the pro. Too um, muted for you? I, yeah, so the graphite is essentially a space gray, and it's never been that's never been my favorite in the phones. Um, I like the black better. Um, silver's okay. I don't like the gold, and I don't like the Pacific blue. Now, maybe that would change if I saw it in person. I'm all, obviously I'm just going off of the website. Uh, I really, really like the colors of the regular twelve, specifically the the black and the blue. I think the deep blue of the the twelve. Um, not the pro is a fantastic color. I'm not as excited about the pastel green. Um, but even, you know, people are complaining about, I, I think I would like a deeper red than what people have been showing as far as like, cause the product red, it turns out it's kind of salmon <laughs> color yeah. in real life. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that, but I really like the black and the blue basically of the, I, I, I don't like the, the muted colors of the pro. Yeah. The peak red was product red for the 11 and I mm. have that one and it is a fine red if they had made the exact same resulting red for the 12 i would have not faulted them at all uh, it, it would not have been boring it would have just made sense it's like a timeless resulting shade of red and it belongs to the product red line the new one doesn't seem like it has much to do with branding it has more to do with we wanted to have this color and we also want to have a product red product so we're going to say that it's product red but until now yeah. product red had a pretty distinct shade of red and now they're deviating from it so uh, not a big deal yep. not a problem but i wasn't wanting a product red phone again anyway and i've really enjoyed no. it for the past year so i'm really attracted to the pacific blue and hmm. another reason yeah. why this is kind of tearing me apart because i want a mini <laughs> but i want it in the pacific so you, blue and i want you that. like the pacific blue more than the 12s blue i do a lot, a lot more. So ah, it takes all me, kinds man. of people to make the world go round. I just don't. Yeah, I just don't yeah. like that Pacific blue that much. Interesting. I've always, I've just always been more of a deep blue guy. I think you know, or, or deep and dark color, darker, deeper, more vivid colors. I guess. And and the the, the twelve pros colors are just not vivid. Um, yeah. I haven't had a pro before, so I didn't. I, I did not find the the black space grays, the whites, or the midnight greens all that attractive. But this time, this blue is very striking to me. Well, we've been gabbing for twenty yeah. something minutes, Joe. You want to move talk on about and, uh, the doc previously on Hi Fi? Uh, <laughs> so we we talked about my doc last time. Let's talk about yours, Joe. Yeah. So we'll talk about more of the iPhones later when we have them in our hands. The dock is a situation for the Mac that every Mac user would be familiar with. Usually I see people with their default dock apps and maybe they add to it, but they never really bother to clean it up. And the way that you described it last week, you have taken it to the nth degree. You have solved all the problems. And TJ, I'm very impressed. I'm very happy with your dock. <laughs> it, it did look very nice. I... I've used separators before myself. I'm definitely a, uh, a very fastidious about my digital life in many ways. And it is a place to be fastidious with it because you keep it up and it's not hiding automatically for you, right? Uh, no, I hide my dock. Okay. I, I usually hide it as well. 
Uh, how, would you say that you kind of keep it on the medium size of the dock or do you kind of make it go small? How, how uh, big do you prefer? Since I hide it, yeah, I actually keep it a little larger, I think, than than most people. Um, I'm, let me look and see what the size is on the slider. I haven't looked at it in a while. I really just eyeball what I want. So it's definitely – here's the – I'll put a screenshot in the show notes and I will send it to you, Joe in our whoops that is not you i was about to send that to one of my other friends <laughs> let me sit that in the, put that in the right eye message um there's my dock settings which i will put in the show notes as well so it's it's not up to medium um but on my on and it probably depends on the pixel density of your display on my display it's a you know you can see all the icons really well it's it's larger than a windows taskbar for instance taller yeah, you're just a smidge larger than I am. I like it to be about 2x the size of the menu bar. And it is usually this hidden. Is more like, this is more like 3x the size of the menu bar, mine. Okay. It, well, in, in terms of the position of the slider, my slider is not very far from your position, but I guess it does grow pretty pretty big. So the so the, there is um, what we are describing are, is the dock menu in system preferences, and you can control the size from there. One of the other ways, the main way I would ever adjust the size of my dock would actually be to use the divider and put my arrow cursor over it and you can scrub up and down to change the scale of your dock. That's what I'm accustomed to doing. Mm -hmm. Then you can also do some fun things like force apps to, well, okay, there, there is the issue of the dock is a place where we just collect all of our apps and we put them in the order we would like to have them for being handy. But another fun thing I do use the dock for on a regular ba- basis, TJ, is to reach down and right-click to create contextual menus for various apps to get to their options. I so rarely do that. Okay. So for example, I like to have the music app on all desktops for now, but that may change in the future. I like to have the finder on all desktops, and then I like to restrict other apps like 1Password to my first desktop, and then a mail as well with a Spark app onto my first desktop. So th- there's other ways to use the the dock as a whole. Uh, obviously, we use it to glance down at the trash can to see if we need to empty that. And I need to do that right now. So empty trash. So if, if you think about the dock is more than just a station for the icons for launching them, uh, you can also quit from the dock. I, I like to quit from the dock. Uh, but let's take it from the left. Last time, TJ, you described the Finder uh, on the far left, and then we went from there. A few other of the apps that you previously discussed, I'll just touch on really briefly. You touched on 1Password and Spark Messages, Fantastical, Bear, and, oh, the Music App and Safari. Um, I noticed that actually you slipped in the part about the Safari browser. <laughs> I compl- I don't know what happened. I completely yeah. just sort of skipped over things in my dock, like as we were talking. So I had to reach in there and slip those in about the browsers. I just skipped to the next section. <laughs> yeah, they, they slipped my mind as well. It's crazy. How would you forget the browser? I don't but, know how uh, it happened. So, so from the left to right, uh, we'll have an example of my dock in the menu or uh, in the show notes, right, TJ? We'll be able huh? to see yep. my dock. Okay. Yep, it'll be in there. So from left to right, we have the Finder and then One Password. I I kid you not, One Password is becoming more important to me all the time. 
And last time I mentioned that my wife is getting on board with 1Password. I was just helping her with troubleshooting one issue where 1Password was not showing up on our shared MacBook Pro. She has a user and I have a user. And on her user, 1Password was showing up in my account. So uh, we got some help from the 1Password company. Those guys, what are they? Uh, are, it, that's not Flexibits, but that's uh, the guys behind Fantastical. I'm, I'm not sure what their company name is. I don't. It may just be 1Password. I think it is just 1Password. So the guys yeah. at 1Password helped us with 1Password. And I, I, th- I feel like it is so quintessential to how we use Macs nowadays. It's right up there with how I use the Finder. And I use the Finder on a regular basis. I don't use my dock very often for launching apps, but I use it a lot for switching. Uh, I have keyboard shortcuts to launch Finder, uh, Safari, Brave, Spark, Telegram, Messages, and a number of other apps. But there's a good number of them that still don't have launching keyboard shortcuts. And they got to be on the dock for that anyway, right? So we you're, have you're f- using you're using LaunchBar to create those shortcuts for your keyboard, I assume. Uh, keyboard Maestro. Ah, okay. Yes. I don't I don't know much about LaunchBar. I like LaunchBar six, and uh, but I, th- I think that uh, for the keyboard commands, the keyboard Maestro has got an edge on it. So I press Control Command K, for example, to launch Keyboard Maestro. Uh, Control Command. S to launch Safari, and so on. Uh, so now the the one password is there uh, next to the Finder, and to me, you know how you used uh, partitions for your various groupings. Yes, like Fi- like a sane person, not like an animal. Yeah, like a sane person. Um, <laughs> I, I would say I, I'm getting by without the partitions, just because I don't like my dock to span from one end of my Mac screen to the other. And if I had partitions for all the various categories, I, that's what would happen. I'd have almost as many partitions as I have apps. Uh, at least it would feel like that. So so I, I would rather forego the partitions for the time being. And I just know that 1Password and Finder are a grouping of two. And then we begin the communications apps. So we've got a Safari, a Safari and Brave, Spark, Telegram, Messages, and Microsoft Teams. And so the this group oh, of six Oh, you have to apps, use Teams. I have to use <sighs> Teams. Oh, I'm so sorry. Me too. I'm sorry for myself. Uh, w- w- let's go back to Safari, though. Safari is just a really good browser these days. And I'm excited to get back into it a little bit more with Big Sur. I, I have a feeling that I'm going to like it even more there than I do in, uh, on Catalina. And I think the reason that I'm drawn to it with Big Sur is that whenever Apple makes a big interface overhaul like this, the third-party app developers tend to lag behind. I don't really expect Google to come out on day one of Big Sur with a great Google Chrome update that feels like it really belongs on Big Sur. And the same goes for Firefox and Microsoft Edge and the Brave browser. I feel like they'll still be a little bit behind. So I'm anticipating that Safari is going to be the only browser on day one that feels like it belongs there. So little by little, since they announced Big Sur, I've been using Safari a little bit more just to see how was it doing these days on Catalina. And I used to be using uh, the Brave browser and Microsoft Edge at the beginning of 2020. 
And I found that I liked Safari so much that uh, at least for the time being, I'm using it in lieu of using Microsoft Edge, which is a really great browser and it's really great on the Mac. But I'm going to go native with Safari if I can. If I can find a really good native app, I'm going to stick with it. But that being I'll said, I'll tell you what. I'm, <laughs> I'm just still I, I'm just still salty about Safari Four, where they had the beta and they had the tabs on top where they belong, and then they released Safari Four and it didn't have the tabs on top, and I'm just still salty about that. <laughs> you and me both, DJ. I I still remember how that felt when they just pulled the rug out from under us. No apologies. I, I, I expected something, but no apologies. And it was it as if it feelings. never happened in the beta. <sighs> but we'll always have Chrome, Brave, Microsoft Edge, Firefox that have gotten with the program. So then there's Brave. And Brave is a really good alternative to Chrome. You brought it up in your uh, extra bonus snippet from last week's episode. The thing about Brave is that it's virtually Google Chrome, but it just has yeah, yeah. Uh, a custom collection of privacy features and i prefer that package for those who may know how browsers work basically almost all browsers now are based on the chromium rendering engine which is what brave is safari is so and safari and google used to share the uh, webkit uh, rendering engine google forked and made their own basically took at a certain point it was webkit and forked it and made chromium uh, well, the Blink rendering engine. And so that is powering most of the other browsers now. And Apple's still doing its own thing, which is fine. But but so the point is that Brave is an, a custom UI and, you know, none of Google's services on top of the Chromium rendering engine. Yeah. And so I'm very happy with Brave. I appreciate that they are focusing on privacy, security, and less ads. And also they deliver ads to you, but they give them to you as unobtrusive notifications that pop up. And that it works for me. I like that cleaner layout for web design in general as I browse the web. It, I, I would, it, it, I do struggle a little bit with the idea of blocking all the ads everywhere I go. Don't let advertisers, you know, and the web developers make their money and revenue with your, with your traffic. I, and so I don't go full on and turn off all advertising everywhere I go. I manage my brave. Um, ad settings as I go, especially with my favorite sites. Like if, if it's a website I'm not going to visit again, I'm not going to bother to make custom settings for it. But if it's a site that I really do want to support, I will deactivate things like blocking the ads. Yeah. Um, and I think it's definitely, it's to me, it's about like class and having classy ads and, and ads that aren't intrusive, but you know, people do need to make money off of, off of their websites and things. And I support that. So for me, I, I used to run an ad blocker. I'm currently not, but if I were to run an ad blocker again, I would do the same thing I was doing before, which is I will only turn it on or I will only get aggressive with it on sites that are being obnoxious. Yeah. I think that's a good rule of thumb nowadays. So besides my web browsers, on the right-hand side, we've got Spark, Telegram, Messages, and Microsoft Teams. Uh, Telegram became really important to me because I think it's sort of like Apple Messages, but with a lot more customization. So you can change the interface design and being a designer, I really enjoy that. I don't, I, I don't use a default color scheme, which is similar to other messaging apps. I've gone with a sort of like a, a dark mode red scheme on my iPhone. And on my Mac, I like a dark blue scheme. And then sometimes I, sh- I 
shake it up and make it sort of like a dark purple. Uh, so for reasons like that, uh, and also that we could still do some fun things with group chats for the family on my wife's side of the family, more people could get a hold of Telegram than people could get a hold of Apple's messages because several people in the family were using Android devices. So we agreed Those to stupid Android to users. Telegram. Oh yeah, who are they? Right? <laughs> Crazy. Uh, they just don't know the truth, TJ. Needed to reintroduce them to the truth. I've heard the truth will set you free. Mm. The telegram will set you free for today. So we got the telegram and it's it's really good for the Mac and for iOS. If you're interested in using messages alternatives, this would be a great one. And if you're not, whatever, because messages is right next to telegram because it's sort of necessary. I can't get everybody over to telegram. So there's messages for the Darnell side of the family tree and a lot of other friends through the grapevine that I don't know if they're, if they're in telegram, I'm not aware of it. So they defaulted to messages and I don't really enjoy it. You tried to get me into telegram for, and I, I used it for like the wedding and stuff, but I did not enjoy telegram. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I'm still going to have messages around. I'm never going to be a 100 percenter that's going to get everybody onto telegram or just on the messages to keep it simple. Uh, and I, and I can live with that. So for the time being, we are using messages and telegram. I don't think we're ever going to get away from that. Then you got, I think everybody knows messages very well inside and out that is listening to this podcast. So I'm going to move on. We've got Microsoft teams. If you remember, uh, TJ did describe his, um, uh, appreciation for what is it called? Slack. Slack. Yeah. Yeah. Slack is pretty good. I just don't have a enough reasons to regularly have it on my dock. I, I do open it occasionally. I do have some groups in Slack that I need to visit. And the same thing goes for Microsoft Teams. But the reason why it is on the dock at all is because we do use it for my regular job. And we adopted it earlier this year. Right. I mean, if your job uses Teams and not Slack, I can see how it'd be hard to be in the Slack ecosystem. You need to get them on Slack. I can see that happening. But for some reason, I think that... Between the six offices we have around the world, uh, some of the others in other countries were more attracted to Microsoft Teams than Slack. I think we could get the people in the U.S. office, but I don't think we could get everybody in the world. Yeah. It's not it's just not my department, TJ. Understood. But Microsoft Teams is okay. I do share an awful lot of screenshots with the app, and I find it to be very sluggish and clunky sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just sharing the screenshots breaks, and that's annoying. But besides that, it's okay. Uh, it takes a while to load. It takes a while to close, but it's okay. Now, I do have TweetBot in my dock, and I've been using uh, the old reliable TweetBot version 2. And Kicking it any old day school. Now, yeah, but any day now, I'm going to take the plunge into TweetBot 3 because I really appreciate those developers, and I love their app so much. I've already made the jump on my iPhone and iPad. I just don't use it as much on the Mac. So I, I haven't been compelled to figure it out and set it up again. But TweetBot has one of my favorite icons, a squared off icon of the robotic uh, bird. I just love it so much, TJ. I don't understand yeah. how you can't have this in your doc. It's such an original creative app. So I, I also, I love TweetBot. I love the developer. I, I follow the developers on uh, Twitter. Uh, <laughs> so a little meta there. Um, I do love TweetBot and I love the developers, but, um, the problem is 
Twitter has become a very locked down platform. They don't allow through they, – they have very heavy restrictions on the API usage and they don't allow new features through the API. So as Twitter continues to add newer and newer features, um, the third-party applications don't get access to that. And I also, in addition, I started realizing social media had taken over my life in a way that I didn't like. I I love the interaction of social media. I've made really good friends on social media. I basically met you through Twitter. Several of my other friends that I now talk to all the time and I've visited their houses even though they live in different states um, were met through Twitter. Um, but I found that it was consuming too much of my time and taking over my life. And I was what you would call a Twitter completionist. And um, one thing that TweetBot doesn't have is Twitter's algorithmic timeline. And so what I did was I decided to stop being a completionist and just let the Twitter algorithm show me what it wants to. And my life is better for it. So that's why I quit using TweetBot was essentially because I wanted Twitter's features like polls and things. And I, people would reference stuff that, and I couldn't see it in TweetBot. And so I just started using Twitter natively. Uh, and that's that's the reason. So. Yeah, I always feel a little icky for having social media websites open in tabs and web browsers. So if I'm taking a break on lunch, I might open up TweetBot for a minute. And I don't have that completionist problem. And I do love seeing things chronological order. So if I do pick up again, I will either choose to skip everything or continue from where I left off. But I'll only be in there for five minutes and I, I don't find it too addictive. I'm usually looking for certain kinds of subjects and people and just seeing what if you know so and so has tweeted today and so i'm browsing just as a, a quick scroll through to see but the- see that's the re- like that's the thing if with the way that the tweetbot timeline works it's hard it's it's hard to just scroll and say oh i see that because it's, it's showing you everything in the order that it, it came in at where mm-hmm. twitter will show you stuff that it thinks that you're interested in and and of course it'll also show you threads in the right order uh or it'll show you snippets of the thread so like if it's a long thread it'll, it'll show you like the next tweet in the thread or maybe then the next one you know and it'll show like the dots that shows you you're skipping some and then and if you're interested you can click through and see the whole thread like it's just a much better experience and that's not again i love the developers of tweetbot that's not the developers of tweetbot's fault it is a limitation of the apis that twitter provides to third-party developers yeah it just hasn't gotten under my skin and I do like a lot of the things that Tweetbot does. I do like their style. I, I, it's the way that I grew accustomed to Twitter years ago and just habit formed. And even though Twitter has moved on, I haven't. I, I don't like Instagram messing with an algorithm to you know, change the order of all my Instagram feed. And I wish if there was a setting in Instagram to go back to the chronological order, I would go back to it. Uh, you just need to let it go, man. It, it, you'll, mm-hmm. The stress in your life will go way down. It did for me. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. I'm just not a completionist anyway for any one of these uh, social media platforms. It hasn't gotten to me. But um, it sounds like you have uh, the other instincts of a completionist, which makes your life miserable. Just let it go. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, while I'm at it, I'll just look and see if there's any apps called Let It Go that I can throw all of my social media activity into. <laughs> Let it go, let it go. DJ, you don't have to go there. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't because I let it go. All right, moving on. So we got uh, the next (laughs) app on my dock is the beginning of another section. This is the productivity section. We've got the Things 3 app by Cultured Code. Then Fantastical by Flexibits. We got Day One for journaling. 
I have the Bear app, which TJ also used and described last time. Then I've got the Notion app, which is a pretty popular new note-taking app, and an oldie and a goodie, the Byword app. So I need things every day and fantastical. It's a balancing act. I'm really wait, bad wait, wait. About... You're just gonna you're just gonna skip right over things. You're just gonna say I no, use no, no, it. No, no, moving no. on. No, okay. no, no, no. I use both uh, uh, sort of interchangeably. One's my blaster. The other one's my lightsaber. And I got to use them both all the time. <laughs> so things three is a place where I organize all of my thoughts for all the projects. And as far as I need to drill down into all the various steps. And I use that continually, but it's also a place to dump everything I want to remember. And Apple's Reminders app would do a really good job of doing that. It's just missing a few of the features that TJ relies on Todoist for and a few of the features that Things 3 has that I rely on. So I want to say that Apple's Reminders has just gotten better in, in recent times with iOS 14. And I poked around in it a couple of weeks ago, and I was really impressed. It's got like 80% of what I would want, but it's not all the way there. So Things 3 feels like a super-duper app on both the Mac, the Watch, and iPadOS. Uh, iOS, I, I cannot recommend it enough, but it is expensive. So you pay for it outright. I don't think there's a subscription model for th- Things 3. So if you're... If you're going in, you got to risk it all because I think you're going to spend like $100 on all the versions combined. It's, oh, yeah, it's yeah, a lot yeah. of money. Well, I have, I have some questions about things. Does it have a web app or are you strictly relegated to the apps on Mac and iPhone? Strictly relegated to the local apps. See, and that's the thing. I just I still have a little bit of the heebie-jeebies about tying myself to a specific platform because Apple, I think, is back on the upswing, but they were very concerning me very much for a while, and I, I want to be less tied to the platform than I used to be. I get that, but I don't think I'm going to be moving over to a PC anytime soon. Yeah, I, I get that too. I just it, – it worries me a little. The other thing is, um, do you um, – do you subscribe to or do you use the GTD method for your basic way you operate? I would say I'm inspired by and I reference it from time to time, but no, I'm not a classic GTDist. And I just don't know what features things has and doesn't have. Here, here's how I use, and you can tell me if this jibes or if it could be done in, in things at all. But like I basically, uh, Todoist has the inbox, and that's just where everything goes. If I get an email, uh, I put a link to it, uh, you know, or I, I use the integration to send the email from Spark into Todoist in my inbox, uh, and uh, then I archive the mail. So I am, I'm inbox zero, and um, and if it doesn't need action, then I don't do that. But if it's something that needs to be acted on, I put it in my inbox, and then usually if, if I need to during the day, but usually at the end of the day or the beginning of the next day, I will sort my inbox and put things in the appropriate lists, like my work list or my personal list, or I have a I have a, uh, they're actually called projects and to doists, or I have a night owl project and, and various projects, and I'll put them in the right places so that they'll get done. Um, I, I just don't know what kind of tools things has for that sort of thing. It has uh, everything you just mentioned. You can have uh, groups, you can have projects within groups, you can have, uh, within those projects, you can have headers. So you you can organize collections of to do's within the headers within those projects and within the to do's themselves, you can have sub to do's or Mm -hmm. subtasks. So subtasks within to do's, within headers, within projects, within groups. And then you also have the inbox 
upcoming today, this evening, which I really like this evening. Uh, oh, which is that, uh, listed. You, that's the first feature you mentioned that Todoist doesn't have. Yeah. So it, within the today, the today view, there is also a separation for this evening. So if you have a to do selected and you want to add it to this evening, press command E and it goes to the evening list. If you want it on the day side of today, then you just press command uh, T and it goes to the today side. So let me put it this way. If to do is has it, I haven't found it, but that's probably because I wouldn't use it. Like I am not that granular. I'm more of it either gets done today. So basically I use today. And then if if I don't get something done today, that's on my today list, then I just click tomorrow. You know, and I, I move yeah. it that way. So it's sort of like it's sort of like bullet journaling in that way, uh, where I have stuff on my today list, and if it doesn't get done, I move it to the next day. Uh, speaking of which, if I wasn't using things, I would be using Todoist. I and one huge re- draw to it would be that if I needed to use a PC some of the time because of a computer at work or with another person at work that said that we got to share of uh, you know to dos and projects like this, if if my various teams wanted to share to-dos, then we would definitely move into the to-doist. But I don't have anyone else that wants to share projects with me. So here I am. Interesting. And I'm very happy. Yeah, I, so, I, yeah. yeah I only use to-doist for myself as well. I don't share projects. Although if I were to ever run a team, like have my own business again and had more than one person on it besides me, I might yeah. consider to-doist for sure. Then the the yin to my yang with the things three is fantastical. And I, I really love calendaring, but I am so bad at it. I know a lot of people who struggle to make to-do uh, to do lists and manage their tasks and projects. Uh, that is second nature to me. I, I'm, I'm a whiz with it. I can do it with my left hand, but I, I can't do, fin- I cannot do calendaring worth a flip. I, I try so hard. I need to rely upon friends and family to help me with calendar events. And even when it is like right in front of me, TJ, I still mess up calendar events. It's embarrassing. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny because I live like, it, it, and you mentioned them then like they're the same. But to me, Todoist and and Fantastical or to dos and calendar calendaring serve very different purposes. And I live and die by my calendar. Like you know, all kinds of work meetings and personal meetings, and I organize a conference and I have meetings, and then there's just general events and out of office and like I just I live and die by that calendar, man. Yeah, and I get that, but for me it's also a an event on the calendar is something to be done. And so I see the how hmm. they two have a lot to do with each other. So does the thing become an event on the calendar for scheduling a conference call or is it enough to have a reminder in my today list on things to know to get that see, call done when it can whenever I can squeeze it in? I think that may be your problem is you're trying to use a calendar for things that you should be using to-dos for. The calendar is strictly for timed events, meetings, um, things of that nature, events that are happening at a specific time that aren't to-dos so much as events. I mean, they have, there's a pretty strict separation. And I tried, um, cause Fantastical has this feature where it can integrate with your various to-do apps and show you your to-dos on the day that they're due. I never used it and it was just taking up space. I turned it off because to me, they're just so different. So okay. yeah, it's, it's very different. But even when it is something that is strictly speaking an event and not a to do that somehow wound up becoming an event, I, I still <laughs> I get it mixed up all the time. I've missed dinner dates. I've missed uh, job interviews. I, I, it has been really embarrassing. Uh, and in, even when I was tracking them in a calendar app, 
whether it was Fantastical or the Apple Calendar or BusyCal, I've tried and I've tried and I, I still miss them up. So the other thing, because in the early days before I was using calendars professionally um, you know, at my work because my first job we didn't use calendaring at all because I was just coming in and working and then going home. <laughs> um, I, I definitely struggled with a issue where I just didn't look at my calendar and I, what I had to do was create a ritual. I look at my calendar. So I still to this day, the very first thing I do when I get to my computer is look at my calendar. And on top of that, of course, now we calendars do all these notifications and things which they didn't really used to do very well. So as long as your events notify you and you're looking at your calendar, um, you know, that you just have to have a ritual to do it. Not telling it's you how true. to live your life, but I'm just trying to help no, you. No, no, you, you are right. <laughs> and I, I still, I, I try and I still mess it up. So I, I do need to rely on my friends and that's a good tip. I have a ritual to look at things. And one way that I'm trying to improve upon the calendaring is putting a Fantastical widget on my home screen on my phone. And so far that has increased my follow through and awareness of events. Yeah. I mean, when it's on the device that you open hundreds, you know, unlock that screen hundreds of times a day and it's staring mm-hmm. you in the face, it does seem like it would help, huh? I would love to have a Fantastical widget on the desktop of my Mac, but I don't think we're getting that yet, even with Big Sur. All right. So the other apps in the productivity suite collection on my doc. I still got day one, which is a wonderful journaling app. And occasionally I go in there to journal for work as well as for family or my personal thoughts. And it's just a place to, uh, if there's something on my mind that is distracting me and I want to clear my head, I drop it in there. I'll take maybe five minutes at the most to write. I'm a fast typist and I feel good about unloading on day one to just download my subconscious and then get back to whatever it is I want to do with a clear head. So I have separate journals for um, things like inspiration, great quotes that I like, something that I came across you know, in, in a blog post or somewhere else on the internet. I'm like, that's a really good concept. I really like that quote. I'll copy and paste it into a quotes journal. And then I have another one for my family, another one for just like life in general. And that would be a place where I talk about my family, but not as directly. And then I have one for work-related bigger picture stuff, like what happened in the last quarter or what happened over this 13-month long project. And I like to just summarize it all and see if there's anything that I can glean from it. And day one is a wonderful app to use across platform. So... Uh, two thumbs up to the day one developer. I really love what he's done. Interesting. Do you use anything for journaling? No, I used to try to journal when I was a kid because uh, I always thought it was cool and like I just never could do it. I would pick up a journal, I'd write something down one day and then I'd never pick it up again. And I have once or twice tried to journal digitally and it's just the non-starter for I guess whatever my personality it just doesn't mesh, you know? To me, it's a little bit like meditation. And I have done some meditation practices before and I've really enjoyed them. And the main benefit for me was just to clear my head. So I go into day one to clear my head for the same reason. But I, I like writing and I don't write a lot about my own life. But I've realized, you know, if I was journaling, then I'd have a reason to write about my own life. And I like to do that a little bit more than I like to find a quiet room, close my eyes and fold my legs and meditate. So it's still clearing my head in sort of the same way. Uh, So I would highly recommend it if you had that kind of concern. 
Now, now, now that we got Bear, a wonderful notes app. Uh, if you are not using notes in your life, then how are you even alive? I don't, I don't get it. You yeah, have to have some either. way to take notes. Uh, but Bear is a, a just a a more attractive design. It's got some great little design features. And I, f- I think that they are still making so many good designs decisions uh, with every update. I love what they've done even this year. I love the navigation, and uh, I couldn't say more uh, except that Bear continues to always impress me. And five star app, as far as I'm concerned, I'll always recommend Bear. Now, the Notion app is different. This is a place where you can have a lot of flexibility for how you customize the type of notes that you want in a single place. So this is where it gets crazy because a lot of power users are using Notion to consolidate not just notes, but their calendaring and also their project management and also their databases. And it's a place where they organize, like, what are they called? Uh, Kanban boards. And it's amazing. It's over the top. It can do everything and it can be overwhelming. So I decided when I was getting into Notion, well, if it's going to work for me, I need it to be really good at just one thing. What would I like to use it for? And what I realized was I'd love to use it for databases. And so anything that a spreadsheet app like Google, what is it called? Uh, Google Sheets is overpowered for, or Apple's Numbers is overpowered for, but I still want to see in a table view, then it would belong in a database in Notion. And so I created a bunch of notes and then realized, yeah, this is not what I want to use Notion for. Then I got rid of them and I put in all these databases where it's like, yeah, yeah, this is what I would really use it for on a regular basis. And I'm in there every every workday. And then another reason I use them is to prepare a few things that I read for voiceover narration parts of a podcast I produce, which is an article podcast. I take an article from a website and then I format it the way I need to read it. And I like that version that I read the article in Notion because it is really user-friendly with markdown, uh, copy and paste, and then... It's easy to paste things into Notion, but also to copy and paste them out of Notion in Markdown format. So I love that. And uh, if if you're on the fence about Notion, I get it. I think it solves some very specific needs. And then the rest of the time, it just doesn't make sense. So if it doesn't suit you, then you're not missing anything. I am not on the fence about Notion. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're like oil and water TJ. sometimes joe <laughs> <laughs> have you tried out any other apps that did anything like notion like Rome research or um is it one of those apps like evernote that just like never ser- served a purpose for you? i also hate evernote so yeah, yeah i've used evernote i just i hated it i liked it for a while and now i hate it I liked what it was trying to do, but then it tried to do way too much, and then it got really buggy. And you would you would save and you would do a note on iPhone, and then it would eat it, and it would be gone. And you're like, "My note, it's gone." <laughs> so I gave up on Evernote. Yeah. <laughs> then moving on, we have Byword, which is a, the oldie and goodie I mentioned. It is a simple text editor. I use it in the Markdown format to quickly edit things if I need something even simpler than Bear or Notion. And I don't want to save it. So I go there to make an edit of something, and then I trash it after I've used it for its purpose. Um, 
And it is, it is just a better editor than the, uh, what is it called? Uh, text edit, which comes on the Mac and has been around forever. Text edit's all right, but I think it's ugly. It looks like it's from a bygone era. And it feels like if um, you took pages and kicked its teeth out and uh, it, that's what text edit is. It's just a, a brutally plain Jane text editor. And I, I think it's just sad. <laughs> I want it to go out to pasture. Give me ByWord. I, I far prefer it. Do you, did you ever use ByWord or another app like that for your markdown editing? I think I have, but um, I just don't use it at all anymore. Yeah. Then uh, we have the Adobe Creative Suite. So this is where a lot of my professional work happens. I have Premiere, Adobe Audition, Adobe uh, Media Encoder, and Adobe Photoshop. They are completely different beasts. And either you get them or you don't. So if you're a photographer, you're probably using Lightroom and Photoshop. If you're a video professional like me, you're in and out of Adobe Premiere, Audition, and Media Encoder all the time. And I could not get by without them. They have been great apps, a great creative suite. I am really interested in checking out Final Cut Pro 10 again. And I want to use it for a few projects during the year before before Christmas. But I also feel like it's kind of not worth my time to invest all that time of getting over the learning curve just to find that there's something about Final Cut Pro 10 that disappoints me. Final Cut 10 (laughs) is an interesting idea but it doesn't hold up to real world use. It, it's it's one of those things that makes a great demo. Look at this magnetic timeline. But having done a made more than so more than one project and at least one major forty five minute you know more like fifty five minute documentary in Final Cut Ten, back in my filmmaking days, I can tell you that the magnetic timeline actually sucks pretty hard. <laughs> it's it it it's really great at first because basically when you're especially with in a documentary format when it's unscripted you're just finding the story from your interviews you can go in there and you can chop it up and it just all flows together and it's great but then when you start doing layers and you start adding stuff in you start and then when you start moving stuff around it becomes a huge nightmare trying to keep things where they where they go because sometimes you don't want things moving around but you can't not have them move around with that silly magnetic timeline it's awful no no now there um, is a setting nowadays where you can deactivate the magnetic timeline no well, that's um, new then that and that's yeah, very new it is i've used newer. final cut 10 yeah. in the last couple of years um yeah so but it just overall it was also a very slow and buggy app and on a very fast computer mm-hmm. even at the time and i was going back and forth with apple support with this because basically before this 45 55 minute documentary i had done smaller projects in final cut 10 and thought, oh this is fine that 55 docu- minute documentary nearly killed us because like we couldn't get like things to work like things were super slow you click somewhere in the timeline and it wouldn't go the, you know it would take you know 60 seconds to actually start playing and it was it was just i went back and forth with apple support on this anyway i just have a bad taste in my mouth of final cut 10 sorry that was a tangent no, i no, it's fair. um <laughs> it, it was really annoying at the time and i remember using it as well back in the day and you're, you're right. There's a, a whole slew of limitations, things that you could only animate in Motion 5. And Motion 5 is not nearly as good as the built-in motion keyframing you can do in Adobe Premiere Pro today. So yeah, one of the things okay, I love so, about... So. Well, one of the things I love about Premiere Pro is that you can do a lot of your motion graphics in Premiere Pro. You don't even have to go over to, to Adobe After Effects anymore. You, you go there for the heavy lifting. 
Yeah, I tend to use After Effects, and I even even back in the Final Cut classic days, I tended to use After Effects because of uh, keyframing Bezier's, um, which you couldn't do in Final Cut. And as far as I know, you can't really do effectively in Premiere even still. Although I'm not. No, doing no, a lot no. Of you you can do them. You can do them very okay. effectively now. But that because, is a because newer thing- development. Okay, because uh, the thing is, like when you're trying to make uh, animations that feel correct, you don't want them to go the same speed all the way across and then stop abruptly. You want them to sort of land right. softly, and and you could do that in After Effects with Bezier curves and not in any other application. Anyway, I was only complaining I, to them on Tweetbot the other day that Adobe. I was like, Adobe, why won't you let me have keyboard shortcuts that I can assign to making those Beziers? And interesting. They replied and said, actually, we just did. We just added that as an update. And I was nice. like, all these years I've been complaining and y'all didn't. So that does that. finally sound like something that it has an edge on classic <sighs> Final Cut. For the most part, yes. I, I'm sorry, this is going to get like, this is getting long. But for the most part, I miss classic Final Cut really bad. I don't miss that it would uh, disappear out from under you and crash and <laughs> you hope you would save recently. <laughs> but I do miss the way Final Cut Classic worked in a lot of ways. Um, and that was maybe part of it is that was my editor for all the time I was professional except for the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and sense. last couple of years I used Final Cut 10 and, uh, I now use, like, I still do video editing and stuff like for conferences. Well, I'm, it tends to be me because I was, I was the video professional and I'm on the organizing committee for EEConf. And so I tend to be the one that edits the videos and I use Premiere for that. I still feel like Premiere is not as good as Final Cut was, but you know, as a whole. So mm. anyway, otherwise that's, that is my editor right now is Premiere. So that wraps up the pro section on my doc for apps. Next to that, I have apps concerning podcasts and music. Uh, so one of them is podcast chapters. It, this is more of uh, an app that I use uh, with my other podcast, Equinox, which is just a hobby. I love making that show with a friend, a Dr. Robert Carter. So we produce the Equinox podcast. It is available on nightowl.fm, just like this one. It's a and good show. I recommend it. Thank you. I put together my own chapters and uh, show art there in the podcast chapters app. I, I hate that it has a terribly generic name, but it has a good app icon. It has been very reliable for me. I feel like they could uh, maybe make a, a 2.0 and improve in a few ways. But as it is right now, it's a very uh, straightforward app, and I, I really like it for how reliable it has been able to open up MP3s to edit them and then export them. And if I needed to get them back into podcast chapters and edit them some more, it's great. Uh, if I wasn't using it, I would be using Forecast. But I was using Podcast Chapters for a while before I gave for, uh, Forecast a try, and it, it, it just was not in, as intuitive to me as Podcast Chapters was. Yeah, I use Forecast because it, it basically goes straight from AIF to MP3, and also it encodes the chapters. Uh, I have used Podcast Chapters in the past, back when I did the Movie Byte podcast, I think. It was either that or Retake. Um, but yeah, Forecast solves all that for me. So. Cool. Then we got uh, Pocket Casts, which is a fantastic cross-platform Android, uh, Mac OS, iOS, uh, uh, p- uh, podcast player. And and Windows. It is? That's great. Uh, it, it is, yeah. there's, there's also a web interface, I believe, from their website. And I, I love it. I pay for the membership so that I can get all the features on the Mac. It's been re- very reliable for me. TJ was telling you how he uses it for his audiobooks in the last episode. And I don't usually listen to pocket or podcasts from a Mac, but if I am, it's because I'm doing some graphic design and I already had my headphones on connected to the Mac. And, I, you know, 
let's just fire up a podcast. So yeah, so I I don't um I, I have the Mac app, it's just not in my dock, but I and I've tried to listen to podcasts while I'm working from time to time. But I find I, – I don't know if it's my work or my brain. I find that I'll be doodling along, doing whatever work I'm doing. It's like, oh, I just missed whole swath of podcasts because I just wasn't – I was too concentrated – too much concentrated on my work. So I just tend not to use Pocket Cast on my Mac. It tends to be an iPhone thing or, or, or my watch now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially when writing. I don't think I could ever get by with listening to a podcast. Uh, <laughs> man, I want to get tongue-tied here. I'm saying listening to a pocket cast. cast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm listening to a pocket cast. So I, I only listen to podcasts if I know that I'm just doing some graphic design. Anything that I have to listen to, other spoken word, or even listening to music for professional purposes, I, I can't do a, po- a podcast at the same time. Uh, right. So then we got the music app and it, I can listen to that all the time. I can listen to that while I'm doing video production. So I have the music app open yep. on a regular basis. And DJ was saying how much he loved it and thinks it's been pretty good for him on Mac. And I couldn't agree more. I love using playlists and curating songs. One of the best features, uh, as a little bit of a tip, if you listen to classical music or movie soundtracks, television show soundtracks, but you don't like a part of a track, then you can go into the info for a given track. And from there, you can tell it where to start the track or to end the track when you play it. And I do that on a regular basis for my curated playlists. So maybe there's a track that's really beautiful at the beginning for a soundtrack, but by the end of the same track, it is off the rails. And you don't want to hear that on a regular basis. So just tell it where you want it to end down to like the millisecond and you're good to go. And you can only do that sort of thing, that sort of editing for start and end points from Apple Music on the Mac. I don't think you can do it on the iPad or the iPhone. Uh, then there's the last, the last little category here, TJ. It doesn't really make any sense. It's not a category at all. It is. Oh, the, you have one of those too. <laughs> yes. It's on my far right side. And this is the toggle app. Uh, for the desktop, I use toggle tracking just for a few side projects with clients. I don't need it on a regular basis, but when I do, I don't want to forget it. And one thing that's really nice about the toggle tracking app is that it used to be red. Now it's a sort of a Pepto-Bismol pink. <laughs> and yes, it is. It is so out there that my eye is drawn to it and I can't stop looking at it. And that is so helpful because when I need to remember to track my time, my eye is usually already not too far away from that tacky app. And that icon is working to help me to remember to use it. I never have, I have as long as since they've turned pink, I haven't forgotten to use the toggle tracking app on the dock. Interesting. Here's something interesting, Joe. Uh, since we talked about my dock, I have actually added toggle to my dock. Um, and uh, uh, I'll get to that in a second. I My icon looks different from yours. Have you changed your icon? Not on purpose. What is uh, what's your icon? I will put a screenshot of this in the show notes, um, and I'll send one to you right now. Here Are comes. you paying for toggle? Because I just have the free 
membership. I am not. It's free. Um, so I actually just switched to Toggle because I up and for over a year now I've been using a, a web app called Clockify. It actually has an, uh, a Mac app and an iPhone app, which the iPhone app is fine. The Mac app is awful, and so I just use the web interface because uh, I I have other I basically have a a set of browser tabs that I call my overview of my work, which is so we have a sprint tool that shows me how many hour, hours are allocated in a sprint, and we have then I have time tracking. Anyway, my Clockify this morning was completely like something was really bad wrong with it. <laughs> and so it just like the web page wouldn't load. And then, then when it did load, it wouldn't let me sign in. And then I couldn't start a timer. And so I, I tried a different browser, same thing. It was clearly something on their end. And I just said, all right, I'm going to go because I had tried Toggle in the past. So I said, I'm going to check out Toggle again. And it's exactly pretty much exactly like Clockify, just a different interface. And so, yeah, I switched to Toggle. <laughs> But that's my toggle. I just sent you the screenshot of my toggle icon, which is different from yours, which is interesting. Uh, let me see. Opening it up. Oh, yeah. I think maybe you just have the latest update and I haven't got onto that yet. That looks like they're getting ready for Big Sur. Yes, it does, actually. Because actually the center of the icon looks the same. It just ha- and now it has a, a border around it like around you would wreck. see in Big Sur. Yeah, mm-hmm. around wrecked. Then last but not least, I have ScreenFlow. This is a wonderful app if you're trying to do any sort of how-tos or represent how the interface is behaving on your Mac and uh, share it online. It's so easy to use. It's so easy to edit. It feels like a powerful version of a uh, almost Apple-made app. Picture, imagine if Apple took iMovie and made it for doing screen capturing and editing. It is so good it's even better than whatever apple would have made uh it's meeting a a very niche sort of uh need but it's on i think it's like version eight and it seems to have a good user base it's very reliable it's not going anywhere it's uh worth every penny i think it's like a hundred bucks or it's maybe like a hundred to 120 dollars somewhere in that range and I would highly recommend it if you wanted to do any sort of screencasting, you wanted to do a pre-record, and you wanted to edit it before you put it up, then ScreenFlow on the Mac is the way to go. Besides that, I don't like to keep a lot of folders on my dock. So next to the, the recently opened and used apps section on the dock, I just keep the downloads folder. But I really hardly ever use it anyway. I might as well get rid of it. Here, I'll get rid of it right now. Yeah, so I just, I I just say, got I... rid of the downloads folder. I used to have a couple folders in my dock when Apple first introduced the whole uh, concept of um, the, the the fan out or the or the grid list or whatever. So back in the early days, I don't know if you remember this, Joe. Before, uh, oh, what version of macOS was this? Le- uh, Leopard, Snow Leopard. Um, back back in the early days of macOS ten. Um, you could put folders there by the trash can, but they would just link you to the folder in the finder. They weren't, you couldn't expand the list and look at the items in it. And then in one, some version, they added the ability that we have now, which is you put a folder there next to the trash can and it'll, you click it and it'll sort of fan out or it'll go into a grid list or something of the uh, contents of that folder. Point is, I thought it was really cool and I never, ever, 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 ever use it. And so I took all the (laughs) folders out of that area, just like you did just now. Yep. And that's a wrap. That's my doc. Now you know. Sweet. Whew. Well, I think that's a good place to end the show, Joe. Um, see, I was a poet and didn't know it. Show Joe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Joe, why don't you promote a podcast to us that you're on? Oh, okay. 
I'm on uh, Hi-Fi and uh, the Equinox podcast, so please check that out. We already brought it up. You can find Equinox at nightowl.fm slash Equinox. Equinox is great. Episode right, 33 just came out. And uh, in addition, so if people want to also follow you online, where can people do that at? Look me up on Twitter. I'm at JCS Darnell. All right. And for me, this is currently the only podcast I'm on actively. If you want to check out one of my older podcasts and go revisit the past, you can go to uh, nightowl.fm slash retake and you can check out the retake podcast i am on twitter tj draper pro uh you can find show notes for this episode at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash seven because this is our seventh episode and we'll have screenshots and things in there of all the things that we talked about and we'll have a few links in there it'll be a lot of fun go check it out and otherwise it'll actually be if you're using a podcast player on your phone or something like that the show notes should travel right along with the show right there in your app We'll look forward to talking to you next time. Until then.